0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 56 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to JJ Abrams and his extended bad robot universe. We take a look at anything that's got the JJ Abrams name on it. And right now, we are still going on our lost rewatch. We are in season four. Today, we will be talking about episodes five, six, and seven. I am your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with in Marcelo Inostroza. Marcelo, who is your constant? What is your constant? Episode 405 is the Desmond-centric, time-jumping, mind-screw episode. The constant, what did you think?
1: I loved this episode for so many freaking reasons because I've been floating around a particular theory in my head as to how the time travel works with Desmond. I love the fact that this episode really displayed how Desmond uh, deals with time travel, and it gives a feasible explanation, a feasible science fiction explanation. In our Lost Universe, time travel has consequences basically i really really enjoyed that
0: one of the best episodes of the series maybe and definitely so far this season it just blew me away and it is because we know that desmond has had some time jumping things go on in the past but this one basically they throw a ticking clock on it because we see another guy who's having a similar episode minkowski played by fisher stevens from short circuit and he's been a voice on the radio a few times But we see him as another guy who is unglued from the timeline to disastrous results, though, because partway through the episode, he dies because he cannot stabilize this time jumping. So they add this ticking clock of dread to Desmond's journey because we like Desmond and we don't want him to be in trouble. But I love that this, because of the way that they have tried to leave the island and they've headed out on Faraday's exact coordinates. We know last week on Island, they said the helicopter left over a day ago, but yet they haven't landed on the boat. What the hell's happening? And in this episode, they say, well, time works kind of different. Faraday starts to tell our losties some of that. Charlotte is like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. Don't tell them anymore. So we know that there's more at play here, but I love that this is where it's immediate. So it's not, last time Desmond jumped back in time after the hatch exploded, he basically woke up and he was in events that he had lived previous for the long term, for like a long, for days, if not months. And in this, it's only a couple hours at a time. And then he jumps right back to the island where it's only been a few seconds. So I love that we see And in this episode, it's not the standard flash forward or flashback structure because we are going to the exact moment that Desmond goes to. We stay there with Desmond as long as he's there and then jump back to the exact moment that he returns to the present. And I just thought that was really well done. So intriguing. And the disorientation that Desmond is feeling, us as an audience start to feel as we're trying to catch up on what's going on and what the rules are of this time battle that's going on in desmond's mind
1: it's time displacement and to go a little bit further with your point it took me a couple seconds to figure out what was happening to desmond whether it was a flashback or flash forward in my head i was as i was watching him as we see him go through his time in the army I was thinking, wait a minute, so how are they going to explain this time travel? And just for a second, I was like, what if they say that he doesn't go back in time, but what if they say that his unconscious mind transfers to different versions of him throughout the same timeline? So when that was confirmed by Daniel Faraday, when Daniel figured everything out and Daniel was the one that told Desmond to go find him, At his university, I was like, holy shit, not only am I semi-right, but Desmond, if you think about it, is the one that drew Daniel to the island in the first place. I mean, we already knew that Daniel was working on this equation, but if it wasn't for Desmond in our timeline, hopping back into his own timeline, he would have never got to daniel faraday is anybody confused yet because i think
0: i am so i do love that as they go when they arrive on the freighter you know they're met by a couple of people who are concerned about why jeff fahey has brought these survivors to the boat he just said i had to but like this guy's messed up and we meet Omar and Kimi. Kimi played by Canadian boy, Kevin Durand, who's going to be kind of a bad guy who sticks around for a while. And he was awesome on the strain, but you just love to hate him sometimes. So they show up. And as Desmond is going through this horrible thing, Said is trying to also figure out what exactly is going on on this boat. Because as Desmond is hopping through time with his mind, we find out that Minkowski, who's also having these same trips, says that there's a saboteur on board and that they've they've been trying to make calls out, but they can't. And so basically during the time jumping of Desmond's mind, he finds out Faraday tells him in the present, like, find me in the past. So then he seeks out Faraday. I just love seeing Faraday before this island stuff. His skepticism when Desmond first shows up. He thinks his colleagues are playing a joke on him. But then in great time travel movie fashion, Desmond starts saying information that he could only have gotten if he had talked to a version of Daniel Faraday at some point. So I love a scene like that. And then we find out Faraday has been working on something similar about this time displacement with Eloise, this rat running a maze. And I just love that in these moments, Desmond is just the human version of this rat stuck in this time displacement maze. And if he is not able to figure out what his constant is going to be and make sure that he can make contact with the constant in both times, then he's going to suffer the same fate as Minkowski and Eloise and have like a brain aneurysm. We get a lot more of the backstory in these flashbacks of, okay, Desmond's time in the military. Desmond messed things up with Penny irreparably, it seemed at the time. And he does track down Charles Widmore, who is bidding at an art gallery museum kind of thing on a painting of the Black Rock, the ship that we have come to know and love back in the first season. So I thought that was a nice nod. And he says to him, hey, I got to get in touch with Penny. She changed her number. What is it? And Charles said, I'll give you her address because if you want to talk to her, it's going to have to be face to face so you can see She doesn't want anything to do with you. That was really interesting. Alan Dale is so good at being a bastard. So now we're bringing back Charles Widmore, the bastard, before his storyline starts to ramp up over the course of this season and remind us that this guy is the stereotypical rich, wealthy, evil son of a bitch.
1: Did you notice in that particular auction scene when Charles Widmore was bidding for a painting of the Ship of the Black Rock, Did you pay attention to who the auctioneer said the previous owner was?
0: He did say it was a Hanzo. I did catch that.
1: Yeah, so I was like, oh my God, it's all connected. Um, (laughs) the The final two things that I will say about this episode. One, I love the way that Damon and Carlton are using this new storytelling device because they are picking up crumbs from previous seasons and they are plugging holes like crazy. And I love the way... That they are stitching up Lost's own continuity holes between characters. The final thing that I will say about this episode, the conversation between Penny and Desmond at the very end was just a giant punch in my emotional heart. I loved that specific scene what what did you think about that specific scene matt because that
0: one had me in tears no lie 100 percent, and especially i love the scene where desmond first sees penny in this episode and we see how much he has hurt her how deep the wound is and that she literally doesn't even want to see him let alone hear him out because things have gotten so bad between them but in those moments when he's acting what would seem to her to be completely nuts And he's saying, just give me the, give me your phone number. I just need it or I can't get back. So like, I need your phone number and I promise I will not call you until December 24th, 2004. Eight years from now, like I'm not making that phone call. I won't bother you. Penny is so good in those moments. But then that scene really adds to the emotion of when he finally does. Saeed fixes the radio. It's only got enough juice for a quick phone call in the present. And he calls Penny. It's Christmas Eve 2004. She picks up. And that moment is so triumphant because as Desmond says, Penny, you answered. It means that there's still a chance that you still love me. And she's crying. And he's crying. And we are crying it is so emotional as this constant thing finally comes to a crescendo Desmond is back his memory is back everything is normal we found out that that is the main thing you have to have this constant and then the awesome ending of this episode back on island Daniel Faraday is flipping through his journal in the present time and he gets to a page that says if anything goes wrong desmond hume will be my constant and that was one of those awesome time ripple effects and now maybe we partly know why faraday had felt like he had to come to this island so definitely the constant one of the best episodes probably of the series so cool i'm not going to say that they are lost super fans but i have uh, a couple of friends from film school mike and rachel and their two kids are named Eloise and Desmond. <laughs> Take from that what you will. There are a lot of people out there who love Lost. Next up is episode 406, The Other Woman, which is a straight-up flashback episode. So none of the flash forward, none of this live time displacement. We're going back to the tried, tested, and true three seasons worth of flashbacks for a Juliet-centric episode. Marcelo, what did you think? Of Juliet being literally the other woman. I love this episode because, again,
1: this episode picks up on a kernel that we have seen previously in our rewatch of Lost. And that kernel that I'm mentioning in specific is Juliet's relationship with a particular Lost member who is killed quite violently by a former Lossie who is now no longer with us, and Lucille. This episode explores the relationship between Goodwin and Juliet. And I love the fact when Juliet and Goodwin decide to go ahead with their relationship, in one particular scene when they are trying to be covert about their relationship, Ben, by accident, you know, interrupts them. And that's the reason why Ben sent Goodwin to do some research on our losties when they first got to the island. I love In this storytelling device that the writers and the editors are showing us specific scenes from lost history from other angles. And they're including new characters in scenes that we've seen before.
0: Yeah, I thought that was great because we do see that thing that was the beginning of season three where the others are watching as 815 is breaking apart in the air and Ben's shouting out the instructions to Goodwin Ethan And we just pan over and see that Goodwin's wife, Harper, was there. And so this is the kind of scene that they tried to pull this shit with Nikki and Paolo, and it didn't work. But they can add, like, a character like this, and it works because we wouldn't have noticed if she was there or not. But they're framing it in such a way that makes her feel more important. And I did like finding out that Goodwin did have a wife on the island, and when we first meet her... She is in a therapy session with Juliet and Juliet is all dolled up because she's just gotten to the island. Juliet is kind of talking about how excited she is and everyone is so nice. And Harper is like, hey, lady, you are not hot shit. Just in case that's what you're thinking. Like you are not a celebrity. Everybody here has a purpose and is important. And Juliet's kind of caught off guard by this passive aggressiveness and is like, oh, that's not not what I meant. And I love that through these flashbacks, we see that Juliet was the other woman because she knew full well that goodwin was married had a wife but yet she still fell in love with him and had an affair with him not caring that that was the case so you know there's two sides to every story so we don't know what goodwin told her but most of this we're seeing through the lens of harper because harper shows up on island and tells juliet ben wants you to go to the station that charlotte and faraday have set off to go to and kill these people stop this team whatever they are Doing on the island. They're up to no good. So Ben wants you to go and kill them because it is kind of Juliet's nemesis telling her this. She's hesitant, but also it just adds a lot more intrigue to the whole situation because these two women hate each other will juliet follow through on this is this a part of ben's plan that actually makes sense or not so i loved that dynamic harper is kind of rough and a little bit rigid and and cold but i did like that seeing goodwin's wife not being like some sort of perfect doting wife was this strong woman who one point she confronts juliet about the affair Says like, don't deny it. I've seen it. So I just like that she's this no nonsense, no bullshit kind of lady, uh, and she's played really well by Andrea Roth, who was on Rescue Me for many years. A great show. So it was. It's nice when people pop up as new characters, and they don't feel completely shoehorned in, and they find a way to stand out in a limited amount of time.
1: This episode uh, really justifies the suspicion that Daniel and and Charlotte have when they first. Get on the island because, for those of you who have been listening, Charlotte and Daniel are very, very suspect of all our losses. And... It makes a lot of sense because they don't know what side they're on, whether they whether they're working for Ben or whether they're not working for Ben. And, you know, as hard as Jack and Kate and all of our losties have tried to convince uh Daniel and Charlotte that they don't work for Ben, there's still that fifty percent in their head that you know the other people on this island are so good at lying. Then you know what happens if we trust them and then take them to this electrical plant in the island and they end up up gassing us anyway. So I thought that this episode really did a great job of explaining the way that those two specific characters acted when they first got on the island. The last thing that I would like to say about this episode is I love the performance of Michael Emerson in this episode for one goddamn reason because he is so goddamn vicious and so deliciously confident. He is so manipulative I love I love the scene when he actually takes Juliet to the place where Goodwin got killed by Anna and he basically says to to Juliet, do you think I have invested this much time? I did all this to get you here. Do you think that I don't care about you? He basically says, you're mine. And I'm like, yes. The, the thing that really made that scene sing to me is that uh, Goodwin, for some reason, believes that Ben is good and believes that Ben is an honest man. And as I'm watching these conversations between Goodwin and Juliet. I keep going, dude, that guy is a son of a bitch. That guy is a son of a bitch. This is going to blow up in your face and this
0: is going to kill you. Yeah, I think some of the best parts of this episode are the moments where we see in the, the flashbacks that as Juliet is carrying on with Goodwin, Ben is like obsessed with her. So he dotes on her. He's like a a lovesick puppy dog who can't handle that it's kind of unrequited love. That's where part of his mean streak comes that he's not gonna let her go no matter what. He owns her. She is his because Benjamin Linus is a little man. He is a guy who doesn't get a girl like Juliet and it drives him crazy that someone like Goodwin not only has... A hot wife he can just pull another woman on the island into his web and this drives Ben crazy so I love that we see that dark side of Ben I love that we see Juliet knowing that Ben is in love with her but being repulsed by Ben and all of that drama playing out in the past and how it seeps into our present was very interesting. And of course, on island, Jack and Juliet share a kiss. And it's kind of like an awkward moment because it comes so shortly on the heels of Kate being attacked. So I don't necessarily love it because you just kind of, you're like, it's still the wrong coupling. It doesn't, feel right Jack is still in this rescue fix everything and when Juliet says like you don't want to be anywhere near me that's when they kiss because he's he's kind of saying like I don't care I'll do what I want I can I can handle it Ben and Locke have a powwow where Locke gets this videotape out of a safe that's marked Red Sox that that Ben told him about they play the tape and on the tape it shows Charles Widmore now Charles Widmore, Ben tells us is the one who owns the freighter and has been trying to find the island. So this shows Widmore beating up a guy and Ben says he doesn't know how Charles Widmore knows about the island, but obviously he does. And he's willing to beat people up and spend all of his money to find it. And Ben doesn't know why. So he says, I don't understand why but i feel like whatever he wants with this island it is exploitive it is bad it is not something that we want to be allowing to happen
1: okay this makes sense to a point charles might want this island to sort of sell to his rich friends who don't want to die and who and who want to get healed by like uh wounds that we would consider fatal but then again why would he want to even entertained the idea of visiting an island where someone who he considers is not good enough for his daughter is on this very island. I thought I thought that this episode was wonderful but for me it really opened up a whole nother section of this Pandora's box as to who is controlling this island who is behind this conspiracy and what do they What do they want? Ultimately,
0: this is all happening. And Locke's taking it in. Good old Benjamin Linus, the ultimate, you know, I'll scratch your back. If you scratch mine, you got to let me out. And Locke says, "Okay, but you got to tell me who is your man on the boat? And I just love we don't find out in this episode. But Michael Emerson says, you might want to sit down. And I was like, "Ooh, shit, who is this going to be? I can't wait to see. And then this episode ends where Hurley and Sawyer are outside having a good time playing horseshoes or something. And Ben walks by like nothing has happened. And he just says, see you guys at dinner. And they're looking at each other like the fuck. I thought this guy was our prisoner and then cut to lost. And I just thought that was a great light moment in a very heavy episode and really starts to drive home a lot more of the intrigue of Widmore and the island and the freighter.
1: Yeah, I just want to say when I just saw Hurley and Sawyer playing horseshoe, I was like, Okay, we haven't seen them in a while. What's the significance of the scene? But then as the camera pans over to Ben, you know, just carrying sheets into into one of the houses, I was
0: like, oh, you son of a bitch. I thought that scene was an
1: excellent way to cap off this
0: episode. Absolutely. Which brings us to our final episode of this week, episode 407. Gian, Marcello, did you leave a panda in a cab? Is this yours? Uh, no, it is not mine. And I hate fucking pandas. Screw
1: pandas. Uh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not an animal person, but I really love this episode for two reasons. One, it did a good job of finally dispelling the whole issue about why women can't have babies on the island, and it also answered a question that was raised at the start of the season who is in that coffin now i'm gonna fast forward here at the end of the episode we are meant to believe that it's this guy i still to this day um when i saw it back in the day i was like no that's not right And when I saw it today, I was like, no, that's not right. That's not the guy that's supposed to be in the coffin. So I'm just curious here. I'm jumping around a little bit, Matt. But what did you think about with the second to last reveal of this episode when it sort of hinted at to to actually who
0: died on the island? So I didn't think that they made that connection at all to be honest with you if this was the person who was in the coffin then the other person would have been at the funeral so I thought we know that this person is dead but I didn't think that that they were telling us that was the person in the coffin because that was in America And this is obviously not. I didn't make that leap. And maybe that was just me not trying to put two and two together. I didn't feel that they were trying to do that. I thought they were just saying, this is another one of our losties who is dead, but it's not the mysterious asshole in the coffin that no one cares about. I
1: promised myself at the start of this rewatch that I wouldn't do this to myself. But as we keep going on here, I keep saying, you know what? As much as I said that I'm not going to get lost in the weeds and I'm not going to get lost in the mystery in the mystery box of it all. For God's sakes, I created a show about somebody who has made a career about mi- making mystery boxes. So if I don't open a few, like that would be wrong, wouldn't you say? The The other thing that I particularly loved about this episode and the last thing, I really loved that the storyline for Jin and Sun is pretty much wrapped up at this point. There are no more secrets between the two of them. And I love the scene where Sun wants to take Jin to Locke's camp. Because she believes that nobody is telling her the truth anymore. She wants to go to a place where she can feel safe and secure. And the only way that Juliet convinces her to stay on the beach. Is to just spout out the the critical information that Sun had an affair with The guy who was teaching her English when she did that, I lost my shit. I'm like, no, you did not. She had to do it. I just love the way that that
0: particular scene played out and what it led to. I still hate her. I, I honestly am not warming up to her at all. In the last episode, the other woman, I didn't like her. And then she does this. And I was like, who do you think you are? Her motives were to keep them there but also knowing that she could just pull Sun aside and say like, if you don't comply, I will do this. But the fact that she does it, get off your high horse because you are an adulterer as well. I really hated her in this episode. Like if Sun hadn't been honest with her, there would be no reason for Juliet to even know this, but Sun had opened up in like a moment of confidence and for that confidence to be thrown in her face, I'm still waiting for the turn because like I said, in my mind, I'm like, Elizabeth Mitchell as Juliet's so great. And I'm like, on this rewatch, I know that she's a woman who's been through trauma. She's been held captive, but she's so unsympathetic to me a lot of the time. It really bugs me. And the other thing that really bugs me is when writers think they are smarter than us and do a little bit of deception so that we won't find out something before they want us to find it out now in through the looking glass the finale of season three jack is tanked and before we know that it's a flash forward he mentions get my dad down here and see if he's drunker than i am i can write that off as okay jack is drunk he forgets his dad is dead it was a character moment i can handle that once but fool me once and in this they pull the same device as we find out And I, at the time this episode aired, I guessed it halfway through the episode that this was the case, despite their deception. Sun is saying, where's my husband? I need my husband. Because we find out later that Jin's storyline is a flashback. Sun's is a flash forward. This is one of the only episodes that I think deals with both together and she says i need my husband call my husband i can't accept that everyone who gets a little bit hopped up on drugs or alcohol forgets that people that are important to them are dead like that's stupid so that was just to keep the rabbit in the hat until they wanted to pull it out at the end to let us know that this was flashback and flash forward and gin was actually not part of the oceanic six and pull the rug out from underneath us so Yeah, they can try and explain it as a character thing, just like M. Night Shyamalan will always try and justify the gravestone in the village, but every explanation of it doesn't make sense. It was just a deception on the point of the writers or the filmmakers to throw everyone off the scent until they wanted to reveal that thing. It kind of ticked me off in this episode because I just got the sense that if they had come back from the island, Jin would not be frantic businessman running around they have been through so much he would have been at sun's side the whole time so i never bought that these stories were running in the same timeline and the fact that they had to lie early on to try and pull that rabbit out of the hat at the end just made me angry
1: uh the joys of this podcast uh uh, fellow listeners i mean I don't I don't disagree with with uh with Matt too often, but the times that I do, uh, I will say this for him, his arguments are entertaining
0: nonetheless. I did love that as much as I hated when Juliet did that thing that I went off about. The aftermath of that between Sun and Jin, and when Jin goes fishing with Bernard, were both really nice, and they were emotional and really sort of sold that they're gonna try and get over this. I really liked that, and finding out. In the future, that Jin didn't make it and that Hurley comes to visit Gion the baby, which is the name of the episode. That was all lovely, but the bombshells of this episode are on the freighter. We finally meet the captain. The captain does tell Saeed that this boat belongs to Charles Widmore, so he doesn't hide it. He full on confirms it. Zoe Bell who Quentin Tarantino diehards will know as Uma's stunt double in the Kill Bill movies and also in Death Proof, one of the leads and just had an awesome cameo in James Wan's Malignant is the woman on the freighter who wraps herself in chains and jumps off the boat, killing herself and nobody tries to save her. And the captain's just like, yeah, it is what it is. And so we're confused about that. Also on the boat, like so much happens on the boat. We find out that the people on the freighter, the captain, who we have been told in a note, do not trust the captain. The captain says, you know how they found that wreckage of 815 under the ocean? Who would go to the lengths? of faking a plane crash so that people wouldn't come looking for it. Wouldn't that person be some sort of evil mastermind with the resources and money to fake a plane crash with the resources and questionable morals to find 300 dead bodies, place them on that plane, put them at the bottom of the ocean just so that people won't come looking for that plane. And if such a person existed, wouldn't it be someone like that little motherfucker, Benjamin Linus? What did you think, Marcelo, when they dropped that bomb on us? I was like, "Whoa, wait, 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 wait.
1: what now? Ben would be the kind of a, the, the the little Weasley motherfucker to do something like that. But to me, the moment that I lost my mind is when we find out who is Ben's guy on the boat.
0: I lost... My shit. What did you think about that? Out of the shadows steps Harold Perrineau, Michael, in full janitor getup and says, Hey guys, uh, my name is Kevin Johnson. Nice to meet you. Oh, damn. I love this. I can't wait to see where this is headed.
1: What did you think about
0: the way that the island affects the people on the boat? We still don't know, like, what is going on. We find out that, like, were those people in too close proximity when... The hatch thing went down or like how long have they been messed up and getting their extreme cabin fever so that's also interesting like why the time displacement the electromagneticism and the extreme cabin fever it causes how come that's not happening to people on the island mm-hmm. and why only outside is this another smoke monster like technique to be a, a defense mechanism, a security system.
1: The people on the island may not be affected. Those people on the island, according to Ben and someone else, those people are, are have been selected. Those people are special. And the last thing I'm going to say, Juliet's name is Juliet Burke. The name Burke is very, very significant in the JJ verse because there's a producer that works for Bad Robot called Brian Burke. So I was like, is that a tip of the cap
0: to Berkey? It's not accidental. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. So that is it for this week. If you are following along next week, we will be talking about episodes 8, 9, and 10 of season four. So that is the homework for this week. If you have a question, comment, let us know on Twitter at JJUniverse815 or tweet at us using the hashtag Radio815. We will read your comment on the show. If you like the show, please tell your friends, subscribe, follow, all of that good stuff. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so on Twitter, at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, you're also on Twitter, the spot they can reach you. You can also reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out.